Uncommon is a production by Neural, a unique digital agency. Neural specializes in content production in the areas that matter most to your content strategy across podcast production, video production, and social media. If you want to increase your conversion or grow your brand trust, head to neural.com to request a callback. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com. My name is Jordan Michaelides and I'm the host of Uncommon, a show that asks the why on business, media, current affairs, and sport. If you like this episode, do leave us a written review on your podcast app, particularly if you're on Apple Podcasts, as it does help the feed work out. If you like this sort of content, to find all previous guests, just head to neural.com slash uncommon. For the full video, you can search Uncommon Show on YouTube. For social, you can keep up to date with behind the scenes at uncommon underscore show on Instagram. But with all that being said, let's get into the episode. My guest this week, Russell Howcroft, uh, breakfast co-host at 3AW, former CEO at YNR, author of many books, including Right Brain Workout, which I'm up to about week three now, uh, former partner and chief creative officer at PwC, chair of the Australian Film, Television and Radio School, and I guess you've hosted a few shows, but most notably Gruen uh, as a panellist, the original pa- panellist, some would say and uh, the series on Mojo as well. Um, I've got some good little notes here. I just thought uh, of all the things to ask, do you think um, probably the peak of your career was uh, doing some advertising commentary on the front bar Uh, (laughs) (laughs) in particular? I loved, I loved being on the front bar. Yeah. Great TV show, right? Awesome TV show. So I, uh, well, it's definitely a highlight, absolutely. Yeah. And um, and I, I, I deliberately wore a T-shirt onto the front bar, <laughs> which has got a Melbourne, this Melbourne logo. It's like it's a Melbourne heart. Yeah. If you can think of the red and blue of the Melbourne jumper, but and I sort of, I've got this logo that, you know, we created. So, and I, I wore it because I was hoping that it would be commentated on by the by Mick Malloy or, you know. Anyway. And they just gave you shit. Yeah, they just chose to ignore the fact that I had this, I think, rather cool Melbourne T-shirt on. Yeah. Hopefully Melbourne supporters that saw the show noticed the T-shirt. But that that's the lovely thing about football, isn't it, is that it it's so important to you and the story that's associated with it is the fact that we're all born with a heart and <laughs> it pumps red and blue blood exactly. through the different phases. And, and exactly. you know, it's sort of like we're born into all being uh, Melbourne fans, right? Well, that's, that, that's very true. So um, <laughs> when you do your biology in what, what, we, what used to be called God. Form 3, um, so it was at Year 7, yeah. So you oh. do the cross, there's the cross-section of the body. And I just remember the cross-section of the body and, of course, the oxygenated air is red and the, and the blood sorry, the oxygenated blood is red. And then the blood that's going back towards the heart, of course, is blue. And so when I first saw that illustration, I thought, well, there you go, you see. My heart beats true for the red and the blue is it's absolutely universally true. Mm. So at one's heart, everyone should be a demon supporter. <laughs> well, I'm a St Kilda Perf- supporter, so I've... Per- uh, well, well, I've perfectly logical, Jordan. <laughs> is that a story that... 
sort of permeated in the group of Melbourne supporters or something that's been around or something that you just actually came up with yourself? No, that's the thing from me. That's the <laughs> so, thing. Yeah, made perfect sense, Jordan. Um, <laughs> well, it, still, it still makes sense to me, actually. <laughs> it was interesting looking at your childhood. I um, There's some good notes here and there. Uh, yeah. Born in Mortlake, famous for the square pie. Moved True. to Glen Iris, East Malvern. Uh, I was curious, what was sort of your earliest memory as a kid? Uh, well, I don't really remember Glen Iris that well. Um, Barina Road is where we lived in Glen Iris. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I absolutely have got very fond memories of living in East Malvern. Um, mm-hmm. Central Park Central Park was a big part of my life and the Harold Holt swimming pool were yeah. major parts. I went to Gardner Central State School, which is no longer there. When, when Kenneth became the premier and he shut a few, quite a few of the primary schools, that was one of the schools that was shut. So really, um, I can't show my kids where I went to primary school, um, not that they care, but uh, it was just around the corner from Harold Holt. Yep. Um, and Harold Holt, I did a lot. Of, I was in the swimming squad at Harold Holt, uh, played cricket for Gardner, um, which became Gardner Ewing, won some premierships there, uh, played footy for the East Melbourne Royal Blues. We are uh, the Royal Blues, sung to the Carlton Footy Club song. Um, yeah, I had a great, you know, Malvern childhood. Do you, uh, were, were there any lessons, I guess, that you learned from your parents directly or indirectly at all that you sort of still hold true today? Uh, that's a really good question. So, the, the cricket team um, for Gardner, Gardner Ewing, it was made up of um, it was Greeks, Italians, Polish. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was Wisbicki, there was Lebecki, there was Deplaris, there was also some Anglo names. So we had, we had an 11. Um, so, look, this is mid-70s I'm talking about. We had an 11, which was a wonderful mixed match of, of what was New Australia then. And I always, I don't know how to describe this, but um, I always, everyone was equal. Everyone was equal. And um, that's a pretty important lesson, isn't it? Yeah. Did, yeah. It's, it's, so that, was, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was driven pretty hard, actually. In, so this is in East Malvern back then? Yeah, East Malvern. Really? Interesting. Because it's not like not the area I would have assumed that you'd have um, a lot of Greeks and Italians. I mean, my family is half uh, Greek, half Australian, yeah. and the the assumption is that when you came here, you had the option and you went to Carlton, Carlton yes. area, and yeah. then you had the option and you went to Carlton. Yeah, and then you migrated northwest, or like my grandfather you could come to St Kilda and then you sort of end up migrating towards the southeastern suburbs and the most yes. popular one now obviously is uh Oakley Bentley I grew up in Bentley Moorabbin that's uh, probably well, why that um St Kilda support was uh, reaffirmed well yeah but also Bentley is a quite a bit of a Melbourne stronghold Bentley yeah there's there's a there's a pocket of Bentley which is actually quite quite hardcore Melbourne oh yeah Bentley, of Bentley course, Demons yeah totally yeah, um, I know you're right. You're right when you say that, Jordan. So why was uh, why did we have such a mix of um, people in Malvern? I don't know the answer to that, but uh-huh. we did, and um, I remember the side very fondly. Very, we were a very good cricket side, um, and the coach, the coach was a fellow called Peter Wood, um, and then Peter Wood went on to be a teacher at Melbourne High School, 
And about, I don't know, six or seven years ago, um, I was contacted by Peter Wood. So I, I haven't seen him since I was a teenager, uh, early teen years. And he said, um, you know, I'm a teacher at Melbourne High, as you know, Russ, it'd be great if you came and spoke to the boys. So I had a fantastic time, really loved um, going to the assembly at Melbourne High. I don't know whether you've been to the assembly hall there, Jordan, but it is no. awesome. It is an awesome assembly hall. And the energy at Melbourne High was really wonderful. And I got to see Peter, who I hadn't seen. I haven't seen him since, but I, also, but I hadn't seen him for, I don't know, 30 years plus. It was great. Well, that must be, and this is where we can sort of get into your early career, that must be one of the nice parts of being a known figure in media when people pull on you for those selfless requests rather than <laughs> the selfish requests. Uh, I can imagine that would be quite nice. I, well, one of the great things about being um, on the telly is um, people that have been a part of your life um, do make contact with you. Mm. And so if I wasn't on the telly, it'd be very unlikely that Peter Wood would have tracked me down and got me to come and speak at Melbourne High. So mm. that is a, it is it is a joy. And, yeah, people reach out all the time, um, people that you were connected with from a very young age. And, yeah, I like it. And, you know, I'm someone that quite happily um, talks to strangers as much as people that have known me in the past. <laughs> so it's all good. <laughs> yeah. um, you, so you started at uh, Gardner Central State School, then yeah. Scotch, and sort of yeah. after you got over um, this idea of becoming a footballer, uh, <laughs> you took a, yeah. <laughs> you took everyone's, a job. Everyone's a, fantasy. It, as, yeah. it, uh, every Milburnian's fantasy. Well, yeah. I just read this bit about, um, you know, Robbie Flower supposedly uh, anointing you into football greatness at some oh, point in your life. Yes. I can't remember where I read it. But anyway, so you, you, you've got this well, lowly account manager job at McCann. What's, yep. uh, I know after that, obviously, you went on to running. I mean, if you look at your LinkedIn, you'd think you jumped from account manager to CEO at YNR, but I'm sure there's somewhere <laughs> in, between, in between all that. Um, and then obviously, Peter. I'm not, I'm not very good at writing C, uh, CVs. No, no good. I mean, you, you don't really need to, do you? But I, I guess um, I, I was more intrigued why advertising? Like what was the prompt to get into it? Well, I didn't really consider it. Um, I, didn't, I hadn't considered any career. I, I was doing the marketing course at what was Chisholm, which is now Monash. Oh, yeah. Um, so I did the degree there. Um, but prior to finishing the degree, my father organised a week's work experience at McCann Erickson. Oh, okay. uh, and at the because he had mates that were there, um, he'd done some work with them. Um, my father actually got into the ad business when he was forty-five. Really? Um, yeah. Quite... So, and he probably knew his son well enough to think that he that you know Russell probably enjoyed this anyway. So I had a week's work experience at the at the end of the week on the Friday. Um, a fellow called David Chalk, who was who is well known as a very good thinker and researcher in the advertising world. He was head of planning at McCann and he got me to present um, an idea that I'd had to L'Oreal, which was a client of McCann's. So when I, when I reflect on that, um, I don't know what the idea was, but it must have been half decent. Otherwise, he wouldn't have, you know, got me to front up to the, yeah. you know, as the work experience guy. Anyway, so um, at the end of the week, they said, we'd, we'd like you to stay. Um, can you, you know, please be an account executive on the Holden business so I was um, well, back, in money. The, back in the 70s as well. 
Oh, no, this is 80s. This is, oh, no, 87. Yeah, so this is um, in the 80s, uh, 87, that's right. Uh, and so, look, I was, work, I was working full-time and doing a degree full-time. Um, completed the degree while still, yeah, whilst being at McCann Erickson as, a, as an account guy. And, you know, and I got to work, for example, I got to work with a bloke called Ted Horton, who was the creative director at McCann's at the time, who, of course, is two things. He's an unbelievable, unbelievable advertising entrepreneur, you know, into Big Red. Um, but importantly is, to this day, one of my great friends. Yeah. Was there, isn't Tim Horton also in... Um, Ted Horton. Ted, Ted Horton. Isn't he also in the copybook? Is he one of the people that wrote in the, uh, the copybook that every creative director seems to have on their desk? Uh, if he isn't in the book, I'd be surprised, but I can't confirm one way or the other. He yeah. is... Um, Ted Horton, I mean, I say this half trying to be funny, but also half serious. If he was in England, he would be knighted. Uh. He has had an amazingly successful advertising career, including writing election-winning campaigns. That's the reason why I say he'd be knighted, because if you write election-winning campaigns in Britain, you end up getting knighted, right? So <laughs> we're, we're here, no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> but there they no. care. I'm pretty sure that he was potentially either included in the book or referenced by one of the two or three Australians that that are in that book. Um, yes, it's yeah. probably English that they're in the book, but it's a great yeah. read. I, I I've come to the industry quite late uh, in the last few years, and um, it's nice reading these books, knowing all the people I'm working with now have gone through that early learning stage, oh, and yeah. being recommended. Well, the, Jordan, the, it's um, it's fantastic that you are reading the books. You know yeah. that that's a, I mean, my, my view a big a big part of doing well in the advertising business is understanding the history of the advertising business mm. and getting really really deep into the talent, why they were talented, what their perspective was, learning about the joy of the right typeface, the right photographer, the right director, <laughs> um, where where good ideas come from. The strategic side of it as well, the stories, agency stories. Mm. Um, it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful industry to really get deeply engaged in. Will said this in your Willosophy episode that um, if there's one panelist that the show couldn't live without, it would be you. And I probably agree because, uh, and that was the thing I noticed on the front bar is you were so passionate about these ads. You were more passionate about the story behind the ad. And they just wanted it for the bit. They just wanted to make the gag about the ad or the jingle that was in it. But, you, you know, you could tell you wanted to go through and tell the whole history of the ad. And I, I guess I was, I, I realized, shut me up. <laughs> yeah, they just wanted to shut you up and move, move you on and uh, bag yeah. you about your T-shirt. But um, mm-hmm. look, I have fond memories as a kid watching ads. I, or I've always been intrigued in stories. I don't know what it was. I think it was, Maybe the fact that at a big Greek family table would be the hushness that would come over the table from telling a story. Yep. Um, you know, my grandpa taped pretty much everything on VHS. So I watched like Faulty Towers, uh, all the Disney movies, um, but he always taped the ads. He didn't actually pause the ads. And so I, I, I was just going through some of them before, like the old, old Snappy Tom ads, some of the first cartoon based on yeah. uh, ads the jingle still in my head the, the very yeah. first john west ad where the man is the fighting best. the bear it's probably yeah. from 
probably from the 80s, actually. Well, that's not the very first John West ad. That, that's that, John that West. whole theme. That's your that's your the, your earliest John West memory. It was yeah. actually fantastic, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was a very, very good ad. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's what's so interesting about advertisers is they come they they occasionally do very well because they do something that cuts through that's funny that's interesting people have never seen before like that commercial and yet they don't try and do it again <laughs> it's so bizarre <laughs> you know, michael what? michael Leedy's is actually quite a famous advertising name in in london is it really i'm trying to think of there's there was an agency that had michael Leedy's in its name I think, and I think he was an art director. That's interesting because Michael Leedy's is sort of um, anything with Edie's on it is it makes sense. I mean, it's in London, mm. uh, Greek Cypriots uh, right. name, so part part of the UK. They probably would have either it was either London or Melbourne that you had the choice of going to. Or yes, my grandpa okay. was given the option, so it <laughs> yep. would make sense. But Edie's is just means son of, so it just meant that that guy's dad was named Michael. So is it right that um, a lot of Greeks did come to Melbourne because we uh, Melbourne is the same distance below the Tropic of Cancer, Capricorn, as Athens is above? I don't think so. I think the, <laughs> the only thing that guided uh, a lot of Greek migrants every time... We're, we're actually doing a piece at the moment on the story of my grandpa because he published the first... Do you know the Neos Cosmos? No. Sort of the first Greek newspaper here in Australia. Okay. And then the first well, I, I know newspaper. Il Globo. Il Globo was uh, very Il Globo was the Greek newspaper. <laughs> well, Neos Cosmos still exists today. Huh? Um, and so he published that and then he did the first Sunday newspaper. But he told told us that basically they chose the the cities that just needed people. Oh yeah, yeah. That that okay. that was it. And so, because in Greece they had a good, well, in Cyprus at least they had good. Like he went to an English college, so he could speak English. Yeah. And uh, and then it was as simple as you go to London or Melbourne, and that was it. Get your um, get your ruler out, and I'll I'll make a bet with you. What? <laughs> that Melbourne Melbourne's distance is the same from the Tropic of Capricorn as Athens is from the Tropic of Cancer. Well, and, that, and that would have contributed to the decision because people would have said, "Oh, the weather must be the same." <laughs> do you think? Do you think people were wise enough back then, though, to make that decision? I, I think that probably a lot of them would argue that they were wiser. Yeah, I know my grandpa would. Um, <laughs> going back to that story of the VHS tapes, was there any stories or anything in particular that you really grew up on, and and that's what made you love stories? Or the, 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 the idea of telling the story? Uh, it's more about ideas. I think it's more... Um, so my father was a... He's in business, but he was also a pretty good artist, but, and he was a cartoonist. And um, he would do cartoons for a newspaper that was called Stock... It still exists, actually, called Stock and Land. It's the regional weekly oh, yeah. newspaper for Australia. And he had a character called Sam the Ram. Uh-huh. And Sam... Sam the Ram would, of course, really tax every, every single week. He had to think of a new cartoon. Um, so he would get me into his office and show me a number of options. And this is from a very, very young age. You know, he'd say, what do you think of this one, Russ? What about this one? What about this one? So I suppose 
you know, the, the story I tell myself, which does make sense, I think, was that um, from very early days, I was having conversations about ideas and what ideas resonate. And I think that's always been of great interest to me. Mm. It's also interesting. He had a, um, his uncle, Uncle Wilbur Howcroft, uh, he was a prolific author of, um, of uh, rural stories. In fact, if I, if I just went on the other side of my desk, I could just show you a whole pile of books that were written by Wilbur. Um, and also by my father, he wrote books. Then my, on my grandmother, grandmother's father, he wrote his life story. He died at 99. Um, and his, his, his life story is actually pretty interesting. It's a very interesting, you know, 19th century story. So I suppose I was surrounded by, yeah, story. Uh, uh, there was a thing in my household that people like to tell stories and write them down. I don't mm. think any of us are particularly good at it, but there's a desire to tell stories. Or passion. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you, who, do you think, who do you think you're most like when it comes to uh, a parent or grandparent, particularly when people tell stories about them? Um, well, my mother's father had a massive effect on me. Mm. Yeah, he, 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 he put a lot of time and effort into me and, um, you know, he was a very great friend and uh, I think of him every single day, actually. Mm. Um, so he had a significant effect on me. Uh, and there's no doubt my mother, um, in her terms of her personality, my mother's a very, very friendly person. She speaks to strangers as well. <laughs> and uh, and dad was um, a very creative person, you know. So well, I don't know. Like we're all a mix, right? Yeah, we're all we're definitely all a remix, as um, Dan Monheit would say. Mm-hmm. Um, Admant operator. I think it was interesting looking at your history. Obviously, I was talking about Countsman. There's Brand House, Wynar. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, there's obviously some years in between that, but. I was curious as to how how Gruen came about, or how the opportunity to become a or start to become a broadcaster yeah. came about. Well, it's, I mean, what a massive sliding door moment that is, right? Mm. So, you know, so I um I was on the radio with Virginia Trioli, um, no. so every second week I'd be on ABC Radio. Um, I shared it with Harold Mitchell. Harold would do one Monday, then I'd do the following Monday, then he'd do the next one. So and so I was just on ABC talking about ads with Virginia, which interestingly was quite revolutionary because the ABC doesn't like to say things like Coca-Cola. Right? So <laughs> and I loved going on the ABC radio and talking about ads. You know, I thought I, it was sort of a bit subversive, right? Mm. And, uh, Anyway, Andrew Denton, John Casimir, Anita Jacoby, they were working on an idea um, and they had heard me on the radio. Uh-huh. And, and as a result, um, I was invited to a, um, uh, not a pilot, whatever happens before the pilot, like a rehearsal. Like a testing. A like test, a thank screen you. Screen testing. Screen yeah. testing. Yeah. And um, so I flew up on a weekend. Um, Will Anderson was sitting where Will, was, where Will sits now. They put me in a seat, which is pretty much where I've been sitting ever since. Um, and they said, just talk about ads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, it, I can't explain. It is, it, it was probably, look, it's probably the favourite show for a lot of people. But for me, it was undoubtedly my favourite show. Good. Growing Good. up. 
Well, when um, I was, um, it, it was quite fun. And then Todd, of course, was, uh, he's the original, he's original and I'm original with Will. Mm. And it was quite fun when, um, when I was, I received a phone call from one of the trade press about, um, and so what do you think about, you know, Todd Sampson being on there with you? And my response was, who the fuck is he? Which I've, <laughs> which I've sort of always enjoyed. <laughs> Todd and I had a good laugh about that over the years. Yeah, I bet he absolutely I mean, yeah, loves who that. Who the fuck's he? Yeah. Um, it, look, it's it's interesting looking at the di- – like I always found it interesting watching the show and uh, getting the sense like Will did like to pick on you a bit because you yeah. were the uh, – you were the suit, so to speak, whereas Todd was sort of uh, the the wiry-haired creative, at least if you just looked at people's exteriors, not got to know them. And obviously the two of you became... And he sits, sorry, anyway, he sits so on you, left of the screen and he's wearing a T-shirt and I sit on the right of the screen and I've got and a suit on. You know, like it's... <laughs> you know, seriously. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's, it is good to see that you and Will have become such good mates uh, and that could flourish from that. I mean, he um, he was saying he's the man he likes to talk to the most that he disagrees with the most. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, what have you learned from Will? <laughs> well, he he's a deep thinker, Jordan. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, his his comedy comes from a very deep, well thought through philosophical place actually um he's a beautiful storyteller talking about stories before um he is an incredible story mm. so ever since i've known will I've, I've gone to his melbourne comedy festival show every year since then um he has an hour he stands on stage and he always tells a beautiful story uh, it, he's incredible at it um and as you know the the following that he has is very deep and very passionate people really do connect with who and what he is um, he is he is something of a revolutionary. Let's call him that. Um, there is some significant. There are significant social changes going on in Australia right now, and I think that he is, in a lot of cases, he's in the sweet spot of where where society is shifting. Um, he wouldn't even see himself like that, I'm sure, but um, I certainly do. I think he's got a really strong voice. He's very progressive, um, mm. very socially progressive. Um, um, I would argue that I am as well. <laughs> no, uh, I'm not. I'm, you know, the disagreement bit is, you know, sure uh, we, we, we'll disagree on the importance of capitalism. Maybe you know. Yeah. Um, or that ads are a good thing. Uh, well, of course they are, Jordan. And, yeah. um, and but he he ob- like very obviously has uh, this chip on his shoulder against the industry, which is what um, makes it better. Yeah, I, 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 the way I like to describe it is that, the, you know, Gruen, the, there is a persona for Gruen and the and a persona for Gruen, of course, is Will is Gruen and mm. he's the spine of the show and the spine of the show absolutely has to be critical um, and it must be, where appropriate, cynical. That's mm. That's a good thing. And those of us in advertising need to explain ourselves. Um, and again, I, that, that, that's why I said yes um, all those years ago was because um, I saw it as an opportunity to explain um, what, this, what this thing is about. Um, it was criticised quite heavily back, back uh, when it launched 
um, this idea that advertising people were revealing secrets. I mean, what, what the hell is that? Um, there, are, there are no secrets. Advertising is actually the most honest part of, the, of, of communication because it's mm. very clearly, an ad very clearly reveals itself, mm. right? It says, dear consumer, I'm an ad. I'd like you to buy what it is I'm trying to sell. Yeah. There's, there's nothing covert about it. There's plenty of other messaging that's covert. Yeah, <laughs> I would agree with that. I would, I would definitely agree with that. I want to just jump back to one thing that after Gruen, what I was intrigued about was, you know, you would have had these years doing Gruen and then opportunities appear over time. So uh, there was obviously Mojo. There's obviously opportunities here and there to be on TV. Uh, we spoke more before just about the front bar. Mm-hmm. when did it start to sort of crystallize in your head that maybe for the next part of your career, this was going to be where you'd focus? And I'm particularly thinking about like 3AW because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've sort of had a position now where you've not so much pushed away from Adland. Uh, you've just got more of an advisory role to Adland and most of what you do is broadcasting. Yes. So I was, I was intrigued. When was sort of that moment when you realized that, Maybe there's more scale here. Maybe it's more interesting. When was that exactly? That's a good question, Jordan. I, I think I just know myself. <laughs> and as time, as time goes on, action and talking can, um, can be divorced. Uh. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> My, the, my former colleague and partner at um, PwC, Justin Paps, I used to say, well, if it, if, if it wasn't for Justin, it, we literally would be all talk and no action. Yeah. <laughs> so I really, I, I enjoy talking. Um, and so the opportunity to do that for a living is something that um, obviously I felt, wow, that's a, that, that is an incredible opportunity. It's also the number one show in town. Um, and it's been the number one show for more than 20 years. So, you know, you, you, you're doing it in a, you know, in a mainstream sense. Um, so that's a pretty attractive proposition. And you're working with, well, I now work with a man called Ross Stevenson. Um, and if the listeners haven't tuned in to 3AW um, Breakfast, give it a go because in Ross Stevenson, you are literally um, witnessing, and I'll call him an artist, Jordan. He, he is an unbelievably creative human being, and the show unfolds in front of, uh, I get to sit opposite him, right? It unfolds in front of my eyes. I've worked with a lot of really powerful creative people, and he is more than right up there. Right. Um, yeah, so it, that's... It's exciting. It's exciting to watch um, and participate in creativity every single day. Um, radio, live radio, it's very disposable. Um, it's a different sort of idea. So advertising ideas are really tough because they're not disposable. Uh-huh. Um, you have to really prosecute the idea. Um, then clients invest in the idea. Then they have to invest in the idea of running, right? So, so there's, there's nothing disposable about advertising. Um, Talkback Radio 24-7, the three hours that I get to enjoy Monday to Friday is entirely disposable creativity, right? So there's a a painting that's painted every day and then you do it again the next day. Yeah, and you've got to be be quick-witted and on the fly 
more so um, than well thought out, let's say, with TV yeah. or standard TV. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know. There are, there are certainly plenty of people that are far faster and wittier than I am. Mm. Um, so how, how did it come about? Well, I'll just, um, I've got a phone call. <laughs> so I just gave you Bell like, okay, what are you up to? What are you thinking about, uh, yeah, doing I've for the next five call. years? Yeah. I got a phone call and, um, and look, it's, it's, it's interesting because, um, I certainly wasn't looking for, to do anything else. PwC was a, fa- is a fantastic organization. Uh, and the work I was doing there, I absolutely adored. Um, you know, PwC has got a core purpose, which is building trust in society and solving important problems. And literally, that's what they do every day. I mean, what, what you think PwC is and what it actually is are two different things. So yeah. um, I wasn't, as I say, I wasn't looking to do something else. But when an opportunity like that arrives, it's pretty hard to say. Uh, certainly your heart immediately says yes. And then your head freaks out. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you get to this stage in your life where uh, money is not an issue, where kids is not the focus, where time is not an issue, um, and then someone approaches you with a type of medium you've never probably tried as much before or, or make it more regular and and to do it at breakfast, that's, that's the interesting part. Because breakfast, you'd probably argue, is the... The peak time. I mean, look, my... Um, it is the peak time. I, uh, when I had a car, living in the CBD, I don't really need a car these days. I'm, no. I'm more used to getting uh, Ubers and, and whatnot around, but I used to listen to a bit of um, 1116 SEN, 3OW, on top of uh, whatever yep. else, mainly because I just liked, I liked the conversations. But um, my father-in-law is a big fan of 3OW. So Good. every time we're staying down at Martha Cove, rest of sh- you can be assured that about 7 or 8 a.m., 3AW is on blaring loud. Good um, father-in-law. <laughs> well, the rumor file, the rumor file, which is on yeah, the rumor file. six yeah. or seven minutes past seven, that is amazing. Right? Yeah. So, you know, calling for rumors, people ring up. And, you know, when Ross, when Ross says, you know, the telephone is full, it's full. People... Um, every and you just think about that, Jordan. Every single day, times five for the week, times fifty-two for the year, are ringing up with rumours, and many of them finishing up, finish up being part of Neil Mitchell's show, which finish up being in the evening news, which finish up being in the newspaper the next day. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's extraordinary to be in amongst it all. Yeah. Do you uh, if you look back on, uh, I guess your career now in agency land uh how like i mean I, I found this very interesting just chatting to people like dan monheit it's been really obvious reading my umbrella that because of covid things have changed massively yep. um whether that means your classic big four agencies are changing whether it means that people will opt for more specialized agencies or more widely distributed agencies i don't know um, I'm just uh, sort of along for the ride at the moment and seeing where things go. But right. if you were given the next 90 days to begin again <laughs> and you were 30, yeah, what would you do? How would you start? Uh, I would absolutely find a way and find a place that is long on technology 
and big on ideas. Mm. So it, it, there's there's no question that um, the use of let's call it brand technology is the future. And how do how do you how does one industrialize ideas? Um, the problem when I say that is that people will say, "Oh, you know." He, he sort of doesn't care about the ad world anymore and I fundamentally care about the ad world um, and I love good, big, super ideas. So how do you sort of do, there's a tension there, you need to create beautiful big ideas but you also need to be able to industrialise them and get them out across many platforms yeah. as efficiently and as quickly as you possibly can. It's quite interesting when you have conversations with agency people you say, if you were a client, uh, would you want the job to be done faster, cheaper, better? And it's pretty hard to say no, right? Because, of course, clients want that. Mm-hmm. And if you say, if you were a client, and let's say you've got a million dollars, how much of that million would you want to spend in media, in working media, right? And the answer is as much as possible. Yeah. Right? Because... That's the bit that gets exposed to the consumer. And yet the ad, the ad world, I think that's really simple. I think it's really obvious. Um, and yet the ad world doesn't really want to think that one through. Um, well, because, I mean, if you've got a business that's been around for 20 years with the same corporate structure, it's really hard. I mean, right. you just got to read the innovator's solution. I mean, it's, it's basically impossible for those type of businesses to move their business model either have to start a totally separate organization that that begins afresh and you finance or you're bound for failure in the long run. Yeah, I I agree. I think in the end, clients will buy what they want to buy Mm. and, and clients have got many, many, many options. Yeah. So um, lucky then, you know, there's a, there's a suite of, you know, they can have a mix, you know, they can have the big and the traditional, but then they might just have a little hot shop that gives them a handle on the way. Um, as I say, you know, they, all the power's in their hands, really. Um, mm. So it's up to the marketplace to provide different offers, offerings, I should say. Um, hopefully, uh, clients pay people well. Um, you know, that that uh, that's a big part, I think, that, of the difficulty in the business. How do how do agencies? be genuinely paid for the value that they create. That's a really tough one. Uh, How do you not be paid on time? Uh, If you, you know, cracking that nut has been very, very difficult, Jordan, but um, someone somewhere will crack that nut and, you know, and hopefully, hopefully they make enormous amounts of money. It's, it's very interesting just, just for fun. Google the Chateau that David Overby owned um, in the last third of his life. Uh, Chateau Tufu, I think is what it's called. Um, and you'll see the sort of wealth that advertising people were, were able to make in the past. Mm. <laughs> I, incredible. Because they were getting media commissions, right? That's the main reason. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a big element is media was um, the way the media was priced and dealt and bought was totally well, so, different. Well, it, the commission was really a, 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 like a de facto royalty for the idea. Mm. 
Yeah, so every time, so if you created an idea that was actually creating value for clients, every time that idea ran, you got 10% of the, of the price of it running. So in effect, it was a royalty. No one, no one ever saw it as a royalty, but that actually was what it was. And there was actually a nice purity to it as well because if the ad was working, the client would spend more money. And as a result of the client spending more money, the agency received more money off the back of the commission or the royalty. So there was a beautiful flywheel there. Um, and also, if you go back to David Ogilvy's time, that's when, you know, mass media, mass consumerism actually was created post-war. Mm. Um, so all of a sudden, you've got freeways, you've got trucks, you've got supermarkets, you've got white goods, you've got brown goods, you've got packaged goods, and then you've got the telly, right? So all of a sudden, you had this insane, you know, Google-esque growth. Mm. Yeah, and I, th- I think... Uh, I, it's going to be interesting because I mean, we've, we've looked at me, when it comes to media, I think the only way to harness the value that's accrued in media these days is to actually become an investor in media, whether that's <laughs> buying shares in Facebook or Google or creating your own media assets. Yes. Um, and the creative side of things, I think you're right. I think that industrial element is what will be key. Essentially, I've noticed a lot of productizing of things happening amongst services uh, probably yep. in the last few years. And I think yep. we, we do a bit of that. And I think it's sort of obvious that things are going to go in that direction. Um, so, yeah. I, I, and the other, the other critical element in all this is helping clients with their, their decision-making. Mm. So, I mean, media mix is a really obvious one. Uh, how much, how much do I put it, let's call it the top of the funnel versus the bottom of the funnel versus mid-funnel, like what's the right amount of money? How much money should I be spending? Um, you'll be interested to know, Jordan, that a big part of what we were doing at PwC, CMO Advisory, was advising clients on the sort of budgets they should have and a lot of the time we were saying they should be bigger. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so <laughs> that, that was interesting because not a lot of consultants have got the reputation that what they're doing is helping clients spend more money. Mm. Um, but that was absolutely our perspective. It, it, it's, it's interested me since 1987 that you say to a client, um, is your advertising working? And they say, yes. So then you say, so why have you stopped advertising? <laughs> <laughs> it is illogical. Why do you think they, they do that? Uh, a lot of the reason is that they have a cap on a budget. They shouldn't have a cap on a budget, right? Mm. Just, just spend a percentage of sales. And as the sales go up, just keep spending more money, mm. right? So they, they complicate things a lot of the time. Um, also, there's a, I, I, one of the other interesting dynamics, I think, is that the industry over a long period of time would burst activity. So let's say just a client's got a million dollars and, and the, the agency would persuade the client to spend that million dollars in one burst of activity. Mm. Byron Sharp will tell you that that's not a really smart, that's not a smart way to spend that million bucks. Yeah. His argument would be get the million divided by 12 and spend that much every month. Mm. Right? Um, and that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. Just, just, you know, noodle your way into the everyday, everyday consumption of media that the that the consumer is consuming, 
and you're highly likely to get that purchase at the time that they're in the marketplace. Uh, if you just have a burst of activity over one month, well, three or four months down the track, well, you're not going to be top of mind. Consistency is key. logical, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's logical and yet. Yeah. yeah, I think that goes to sort of um, corporate structures, right? And goes back to that, that idea of your annual budget. Um, and the, the weird dynamics you get between the agency and the company that's got this budget. Um, it is wanna, weird, right? It is, it is weird. It, yeah, because the, the, the marketing services provider is there to help the client succeed. Mm. That's it. But they're also there to make money. Of course they're there to make money. And, and this is where it gets difficult because some of the time you don't feel like the client wants you to make money. Mm. Right? Um, but there is a very powerful word in business though, Jordan, as you know, and the word is no. <laughs> Probably the most common word too. Well, when the, when the client says, um, you know, we want to give you the business and we're going to pay you 50, 50 grand, if you, if you need 150 to run it, there's only one answer. Uh, yeah. and it, it's hard. I've been there. I've been there. It is incredibly difficult because the ad world is a highly competitive world. Yeah, it's brutal. And that, and that competition, of course, provides great opportunities for clients. There was, uh, there was something raised in Will's interview, which is sort of intertwined with the question about leaders and mojo. Uh, but I want to start with this first component. So, I mean, it's quite obvious to me that you were a big fan of... Um, Alan Morris and uh, Alan Johnson. So they created Mojo, as we know, uh, as you and I know rather, but for the audience, they created an agency that really came up with some jingles and ideas, probably in the, uh, predominantly in the 80s, you'd probably say, that really changed the way products were marketed, but also they started to think about how Australia was marketed which sort of lends to a snippet that you and Will had about the state of Australia and something that with the right guest, I always like to get into because some people think about it. Some people just don't give a shit. Right. Um, and, you know, I, th I feel like you really hit the head, hit the nail on the head with this idea of the magic of Australia. I remember watching a doco a year or two ago called the magical land of Oz. Right. And I've always thought Australia is this really bizarre place. I mean, the black swan principle in the world of finance literally came from the idea yes. that there was no such thing as white, uh, black swans. Uh, and then they are. And here they are in, uh, in Perth in WA. Um, how would you start to change? Let, let's just say overnight, for whatever reason, you were made PM and you've got, yeah. About six to 12 months to start thinking about how you'd start to shape your policy right. and the future of uh, Australia. What would that actually look like? Jeez, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So let's just, let's just talk about brand Australia. Yeah. So um, what I would absolutely do is, and I genuinely would do this, is um, triple my global advertising budget. Um, and I would have the proposition around magic and I would take to the world the idea that Australia is a magic place mm. and it's a magic place 
as as you said, the creatures, the magical creatures. So there's a there's a flora and fauna reason why it's magical. So there's a reality to that. Mm. Um, there's also, of, of course, our culture and First Nations culture. Um, there is the innovations that we have done, which makes us quite magical, actually, like incredible innovations that we forget about. Mm. Um, the lifestyle that we have, magical. Right? So you can you can actually attach that magic word to who and what we are. Nothing like having a single word that you can uh, attach to your country. So New Zealand's done pretty well out of pure. Um, so I, I think we could do very well out of magic. I have fun sometimes saying that we should do use deadly because, um, uh, of course, the in, in, in Indigenous culture, deadly is actually really good, as you know. Yeah. Right? So, that, so that, oh, how was your day? Deadly. That means it was good. So you could have fun with that, but I suspect that... The Americans you, won't get it. Yeah, even if you were the boss, even if you were the prime minister, you probably wouldn't agree to doing deadly. Yeah. Well, you, you, I, I always say that you've got to sort of dumb it down enough so the Americans will get it. It's got to be very simple. Yeah, no, the Americans are very sophisticated, Jordan. And, <laughs> you know, they did get us on the moon in the yeah. 60s. You know, I just love shit, so. Yeah. Um, so, they, so, yeah, I would, have, I, would, I would build a proposition around magic, but I would spend the right amount of money mm. uh, because if you get that right... Um, you, you're going to make it back tenfold because it's going to be, it, yes, it will affect tourism, but it will also affect trade. If you do it right, you might even get, I think there's a million expats um, out there in the world. Uh, many of them are very smart, very successful. If you do it right, you might even get some of them back. Presumably a number of them are thinking about coming back now um, because Australia's looking pretty good. Mm. Um, you know, look at our, GD, uh, our decline in GDP, is nothing like other parts of the world. You know, it's been pretty amazing. Yeah. So, um, I would celebrate our country much more than we do. Um, I would, I would change the flag. I would make the next governor general a indigenous female leader. Um, what about the idea of build some more airports? Yeah, that that would be handy. More um, trains. Um, I would make us a lead a lead leader leading country in the development of new energy sources. There'd be lots of exciting things you could do, John. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I I do think though that there's something uh, mental about it as well in terms of the idea of becoming a republic. I'm not saying that that has to be the defining uh, moment that will change things, but there's a angst in society about who we are. Yeah. At the moment, and there's there's a lot of elements to that, like whether it's over-reliance on China economically or over-reliance on the US uh, militarily. There's a bunch of things that I feel that we could do that could change our mentality on who we are. Yeah, well, let me tell you, I, I was always a hardcore Republic, Republican, paid-up member, um, but I'm not anymore. And the reason why I'm not anymore is I think it's more important that we have an Indigenous female as the Governor-General. Why? And, and that's easy to do because the Constitution exists that allows that to happen. Like There's nothing that gets in the way unless, unless the Indigenous leaders don't want to do it, right? So that's, that, that's a discussion that needs to be had by someone somewhere. Um, I think that that would go to a, a huge way to healing um, us. And there's also great logic in it. 
Um, so when, let's just say, there's a dignitary that is arriving on the tarmac um, and they walk down the stairs, of course they need to be welcomed to country. Now, it makes a lot of sense that they're welcomed to country by an Indigenous leader who's the Governor-General. Um, I think there's an opportunity for us to get connected to that person as well. Like, we're not connected to the Governor-General. The Governor-General tends to be white and male, um, not always, but often uh, military as well. Mm. Um, it just seems to me to be a nice idea. And um, as I said, it's, it, it's, it's easy to do. <laughs> like, it, it, being a republic is not easy. As, mm. we, as we've discovered, it's just, it is simply not easy. And um, well, it's actually it, more it, expensive, which is an interesting mm. point. And then who would, be, who would be the president? It's highly unlikely that the president would be an Indigenous female leader. Um, and then the other thing which I think is very interesting, which doesn't get talked about much now, Brexit is very important for Australia. Yes. Uh, and, and what will happen is the traditional Commonwealth countries will start trading more than they have in the past, I think, um, as Brit because Britain is, you know, changing its orientation. Mm. So that's good for us. Um, I've always been interested in the Commonwealth. It, just think about that, that word. It's a really powerful word, right? Mm. We're in the business of common wealth. So the Indians, the Canadians, the Australians, the New Zealanders, the South Africans, the Brits... Uh, and many, many others, of course, um, all have a common interest in their own development and, you know, job creation, wealth creation, etc. So I wouldn't be surprised at all, Jordan, if actually the Commonwealth starts to become far more important than we give it credit for. Well, I don't know if you've read much about Kanzik, but that's become a real uh, thing, the idea of a free trade, free movement agreement between Canada, UK New Zealand. Basically, they want to extend what Australia and New Zealand currently have. It's a passport when we go to New Zealand, which is just nonsense. Anyway, no, yeah. we've got to go through um, international you know, controls. Yeah. Um, yes, we should do it. Imagine if the Indians, the Canadians, the New Zealanders, the South Africans, Australians, Brits, all use the same currency. Yeah. That'd be pretty full on. I feel like you're going to run into a roadblock though with the Brits. Yeah, I know. That's not going to happen. I'm just, chuck <laughs> I'm just chucking it out there. Right? It's um, <laughs> COVID has been in interesting, which I think has sort of accelerated these ideas anyway. You were on uh, obviously the podcast with Alex and uh, one of the things you were talking about is how it sort of accelerated things that were already happening which I think a yep. lot of people have felt, but particularly things in Adlam, which probably permeates to corporate culture, which is working from home, uh, everything being a little bit more remote in the way that we do things, particularly with uh, client-related obligations. Mm -hmm. um, does the office become more like a clubhouse, uh, particularly for creatives? So I, I was just curious... Now, I think that interview was a few months ago, maybe even six months ago. Uh, what's, what's your sense on what the next six to 12 months looks like? Well, let, let's hope that it, <laughs> it looks better. Um, well, we're gonna, we obviously have to live with COVID and we have to find, out, we have to find a way to do that. Um, we have to 
we have to, as quickly as we can, get rid of the this idea of shutting down borders. No. Uh, the only way to do that, of course, is to have a really strong hotspot strategy. Um, I, I, I fear that the only way that a hotspot strategy works and or works best is the use of digital technologies, um, which requires us all to opt in to being tracked in effect. And my fear bit around that is that I don't think that they'll that I don't think people will even put it on the agenda, let alone do it. No. So I think that's a real pity because the opportunity to have a, you know, a um, amber, green, amber, red system on your phone, it, it's there, the technology exists, you know, please. Um, uh, it, it, I get it. I get it from um, a libertarian point of view, but I would argue that the government doesn't have to be doing that. Um, so I, I'm quite happy to allow, let's say, Google to to track me. That's fine. Um, it's a commercial relationship that I have with Google, and that is different to allowing the government to track me. So maybe is there is there some sort of relationships that can be created um, in the with the private sector that allows um, a better track and trace to happen? I, I would have thought that that is an opportunity. I just don't. Mm. That's not going to happen. You know, it was. On that point of track and tracing, I just got to say that we had a previous guest, Jerry Sarkis, who has the biggest app agency in Australia, and that app could have been very, very good. Yeah. It's just that it was designed in a way that was more like a news app. Uh, they had no, in terms of consumer psyche, had no way of bringing you back to the platform on a regular basis throughout the day. No push notifications that had any value, no news. Um, I think he said if you had just put the numbers, the live numbers in the app and, and pushed people with notifications like that every day, you wouldn't even need to have the opt-in process. Yeah, um, yeah, right. So there, there is a progression on the original idea of, you know, we need an app and we need to be able to tra- use, use digital technology for track and trace. And we've, oh. we've sort of, we've barely sort of dipped the, dipped the toe in the water, right? What's the what's the first thing you're going to do when this is all said and done? I've never really been. I mean, I like going to the pub. I do like going to the pub. I'm not like a massive pub guy, but gee, I'm looking forward to going to the pub. Mm-hmm. I really, really am. Footy. So maybe it's the pub at the football, of course, with some friends uh, to watch the D's win. That's. I don't know whether I. I don't know that I've got any bigger ideas than that. <laughs> that's that's good enough for me. I would agree with that. I think um, for a lot of us St Kilda supporters, for a brief period of about three four weeks, we had this idea that somehow we we're going to make the grand final. No, no, and I think wouldn't you it could. be? We could, but wouldn't it have been weird doing it in this moment? Like, is it? I was having this discussion with my dad. Is it the same winning a grand final this year? versus yes. any other year. And I just said to him, I don't give a shit. I just want to win the grand final. No, no, it is, it is the same this year. They've, they've, had to, they've had to run on the park and they've had to beat the opposition. Absolutely, mm. it's the same, right? All right, I want to jump into some rapid-fire questions to finish things off. Okay, let's do it. Um, what does your morning and evening routine look like at the moment? Uh, I get up uh, a little after four. I jump in the swimming pool because um, that sort of a, is a nice way to wake up. Very bracing. I am in a one three cab at uh, four twenty. Mm-hmm. 
I'm at the office at 4.35. Uh, I read the papers. The radio starts at 5.30, 8.30 it's done. Quarter to nine, I'm in a cab. Uh, I'm home. I sometimes have a little snooze, uh-huh. but not as often as I, not as often now. And I then sit at my desk. There's lots of other things to do. Uh, and that job I've got is like consumption of media is, you know, doing work. <laughs> so that's good. And um, talk to family, uh-huh. eat dinner, light dinner these days. But I, do, I still do quite a lot of exercise. Uh, my next appointment is with, with exercise. Um, a bit of meditation. Oh, yeah. And I get myself to try and get myself to sleep by nine o'clock really is, is the plan. And that's not too bad. You know, my family, if they're all, you know, they've all left school. Um, so it's sort of, you know, I, I don't know that I'd like doing this job with young, a young family. I think that'd be very difficult to do. Yeah. It'd be um, incredibly hard. Yeah. Right. So no one wants to talk to me at my house anyway. So, you know, I just go to bed. <laughs> do you are you capping off at the moment with any particular TV show, uh, any movie, any series that you've been watching at all? Uh, False Flag is a cracker on SBS on demand. Okay. False Flag, go. it's a Israeli show, and um, it's it's a ripper. Unfortunately, I've had issues with SBS on demand the last forty eight hours, so I haven't watched the final episodes. But False Flag is very good. Um, I like watching Parliament, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll turn that on. Do you watch that on ABC iView or do you just watch it at uh, midday or whenever it's normally on? So you can sort of see my office here and then through those doors underneath the bookshelves is a telly. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. You just watch it there. Just watch Parliament. Yeah, Yeah, Parliament. And then I'll, I'll, I'll set my fire so just around... Here, there's a, and that way there's a fireplace. Yeah. And then a bit further down that way there's a bar. So I'm very, I've got a bar, I've got a nice sort of couch area, fireplace, and I've got a reading and telly through there. So it's all good. You're all done. I mean, I've literally been in those three rooms since mid-March. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, last question for you. If you could have a billboard anywhere in Melbourne in particular, where would it be and what would you have on it? Huh. Good question. Um, geez, I was going to say Tullamarine Freeway, but no one's going to the airport now, are they? Um, where? Well, right now, billboards aren't great, right? No, they're not. They're, they're, All you have to do is look at the O-Media uh, report. So what, um, I, what I wouldn't do is I wouldn't, if you don't mind, I wouldn't have a billboard. What I would do is I would get that old-fashioned um, aeroplane that you would drag the, uh, would, you know, drag the billboard behind the aeroplane. Yeah. Because that way we can get all of Melbourne seeing it. Um, so we're not relying on someone to drive past a billboard because that's unlikely. So we need to have that aeroplane with the banner. Mm-hmm. And then on the banner... We need to, we need, obviously we need a message of energy, don't we? And we need to, we need it maybe a combination of be kind and spend money. <laughs> they, they are the two most important things that we need to get um, 
into Melbourne as fast as we well, in fact, I think we are. In, in the main, we are a very kind city. Hmm. Uh, but let's just remind ourselves that being kind is important. But, geez, we need to get the money go around happening as fast as we possibly can. So yeah. be kind, spend money. It's very hard um, when people have been scared about what's been going on because there is that buying power still there. It's just um, that was something that they've been talking a lot about in the UK. Um, obviously, when you go and tell people that they need to bunker down and then you come out a few months later and say, no, you need to go out and spend money, yeah. uh, it's very hard to change that, um, that opinion. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Have you, seen the, um, have you heard that term, the velocity of money? Uh, yes, but in yeah. what context are you referring? Well, just the, just the speed with which a dollar bill, you know, a dollar bill goes around the economy. Right. And obviously the quicker it goes around, the more growth you've got. Yeah. So, you know, clearly the velocity of money right now, certainly in Melbourne, Victoria, is not there. Mm. Um, although there's a lot of packages that are arrived at the household, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, I can speak from my own experience. We're getting a lot at the moment. Um, yeah. Which is, which is sort of fun. Sort yeah. of. <laughs> I'm going to ask just with this bookshelf, because I'm, I'm very envious. I've got, uh, you probably can't see it on my side, but I've got a big bookshelf here because I read for about an hour every night to sort of relax and go to sleep. Mm. If you could pick one book in particular, what sort of stands out to you? And I'll, I'll give my example at the moment. And it would probably be Homo Sapiens by it's, Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah. yeah. Probably one of the best books I've ever read, simply just because the way he looks at us as a group, as a species. Well, in fact, uh, it's an awesome book for people that work in the the world of brand Hmm. because Homo sapiens is all about, actually, I think you can boil it down to the difference between us and the rest is that we know how to tell stories and that's obviously about brands, right? So I agree with you, awesome book. Sapiens is also very good and 21 Lessons for the the 21st century. Okay. Also this by, by Yuval. Yeah. Um, and yeah, get on YouTube, watch him as well. That's very, very good. Um, and right now I am actually reading Malcolm Turnbull's book. Okay. What did you think? Uh, it, it, I, it is excellent. Um, what I find so interesting about it is the man is a freak. Mm. Unbelievably clever, insane achiever, very significant thinker, and yet, do we do we actually acknowledge that and appreciate that? It's mm. just, it's just you know, like he did actually become the prime minister, right? Yeah, he that's, did. That's, that's quite hard to do. Right? He did. So, I mean, he you know. he's he's was obviously very gifted um, and very smart. I guess my I was a fan of Malcolm. I was just a bit disappointed with what sort of um, <coughs> eventuated eventuated of his oh. prime ministership. Yeah, uh, and um, but part of that is politics, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, so the idea that politics is binary is nonsense. It, mm. it is. It's a, you're in the grey. It's very right? grey. Yeah, of course it is. Um, mm. you, you know, the notion of right and wrong is pretty tough, and a lot of people sort of seem to think that it is as simple as that. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, it's on my reading list. I've got about a couple grand worth of books, though, on that reading list. I have to Good be very, very particular about what I buy. I used to buy yeah. them in bulk of, uh, you know, 70 books at a time and read through them in a year. Jeez, but okay. Now, now I just sort of, uh, I just buy what I need right now. 
Otherwise, you just you read stuff, and I've I've read some things, and I've picked it up and started to read, it and gone, why? Why do I need to read this? This book's crap. Yeah. Um, so I can get very very addictive with Amazon wish list. Um, Russell, thank you so much for doing this. No um, this uh, this interview and probably Will's interview was was very good for me personally, just having watched the show uh, growing up. So thank you for accepting. And uh, thanks for coming on. And where can people find you on the interwebs? So LinkedIn, I use LinkedIn quite a lot. Um, so just search my name. They can see, see me there. Uh, Twitter handles Howcroft, although probably Ross and John throughout everybody is what we should do these uh, days, Jordan. LinkedIn, um, Ross and John. Yeah, and look, and that'll be, you know, I'm into week five of that show, of the radio show. So how we use social media and how we market the show is certainly a next step, next stage for me. I'm just learning how to do the three hours at this stage. Yeah, fair enough. I would have, I would have put you down for a, uh, a Twitter guy. Oh uh, yeah. So at, at, at Howcroft is Twitter. Yeah. Um, Twitter sometimes, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I'm not, a, I'm not the biggest fan of it these days. Well, I think that I, I genuinely think that, um, Twitter can, I'm sure, amongst many, trigger some serious mental health issues, and that's not a good thing. No, no, and we could get into that for hours. But um, <laughs> thank you very much for uh, for coming on. I love the background with the bird and the flowers and the. Oh, yeah. art. So that, that's called a blight. That's I, I, the florist down in Swan Street. Okay. At the, at the cheeky monkey coffee shop there. Oh yeah, it's um, not far from where we are. Yeah, I, I, I walk into him, see him, and say, I want a bloke's bunch. So that's that's a bloke's bunch. It's just natives. What's the bird? That was given to me by Thinkabout. That, okay. was, um, that was my gift for the radio show, and that is they said something like, rather than give you an alarm clock, we thought, an alarm clock, we thought we'd give you a black cock. <laughs> like I do like something that. like that. Yeah, I do like that. <laughs> so that's from Thinkerbill. Yeah, very nice. Uh, Russell, thanks for coming on. Here's John. Good man. Thanks for listening in to this episode. If you like it, do leave us a written review on your podcast app, as it helps us continue going on a weekly basis, and we do love reading those reviews as well. Uh, if you want the show notes, you can find that below or with our previous guests at neural.com slash podcast. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E dot com slash podcast. To watch the full video, search Uncommon Show on YouTube, and to keep up to date with behind the scenes and clips for the show, you can find us at Uncommon underscore show on Instagram. But until next time, guys, thank you so much for listening.